0: Michael Siebel is the current CEO of Y Combinator and he has this great concise talk where he, he shares the 10 lessons that they've learned from running Y Combinator for 10 years and it's all about common reasons that companies fail. So he starts, he starts out, even though we've had a lot of success, I would argue that we are far more successful in understanding failure. We are experts in failure. I'm gonna talk about how we see companies fail and I have a top 10 list. So let's just go ahead and run through this list real quick. Number one, assuming that raising a successful seed round means you've reached product market fit. This is extremely common. Founders tend to think that because investors want to invest in their company, that their company must be amazing, that their company will go on to be the next big thing. That is rarely the case. The vast majority of the best investors have invested in dozens of companies that you've never heard of that have died. And to to this point, I would say, like, the, the one influence I think about why people, why some founders think this way is because if you look at, it, if you only read, like, the press in regards to new company formation and, and new products, they, they glorify fundraising. But they also, like, every article that says, hey, look, this company just went out and raised a million dollars or $10 million, whatever the number is, they should also say, hey, by the way, by the way, uh, you know, 90 plus percent of venture raised companies fail. Um, they, they need to add some context to that because what I, what I part, of, part of me thinks that what's happening here is people are being kind of like brainwashed into thinking, okay, wow, this person that maybe I've already funded Google 10 years ago also sent uh, gave me some seed funding and that means I'm going to be successful. Like that's obviously not the same thing. And I think that's what Michael's pointing out here. He says, number two, hiring too quickly. Founders think that they have to hire eight to 12 people once they've raised an angel round. It is cargo culting what a successful company is supposed to look like. That's such a good point. When you have that many employees, the primary job of a CEO switches to management, but for a pre-product market fit company, the primary job of the CEO should be to focus on achieving product market fit. You can see the disconnect. A lot of the advice we have, uh, we have to give a year after demo day is you need to let some of these people go because you are running low on money and you didn't find product market fit. So I love this idea of like, he's saying, focus on actually creating a successful company. Don't, go around mimicking what you think successful companies do. Like, become a successful company first and then you start to hire as you need to. But you don't do that that in reverse order. Number three, not understanding your business model. You don't do it in reverse order unless you've actually proven that there's a strong demand of your product, I should say. Number three, not understanding your business model. We have a ton of B2B companies. The most common mistake they make is they don't know if they can afford the process, meaning the sales process, they need to do to acquire customers don't just pursue the strategy that interests you meaning the distribution strategy pursue the strategy that is commensurate with how much you charge and who your customers are number four not understanding when is the right time to sell when it's the right time to sell into a tech startup this he also sends out like a pre-qualifier this depends on what you are selling if you are selling key components the startup is uh, less likely to rip it out meaning to cancel for example, to give the example of like Stripe, if your payment system works, you're not gonna rip it out. There are some advantages and disadvantages to not selling to startups. So you, you, you can, instead of selling startups, you might wanna to sell to like larger, already existing companies. And he says, existing businesses have more money. That's obviously an advantage. They're less likely to churn, another advantage. Now, here's some disadvantages, though. But if you are selling to a larger company, you are, often sell- you are often selling to an executive, and you don't know what their budget and decision-making ability is within the company. So you might be wasting your time, in other words. Number five, assuming investors would be a large differentiator. This made me chuckle. The best I got as a founder was simple. An A investor gives you money, signs your paperwork, and then shuts the fuck up. That is an A. There's a lot of room below an A. There is not a lot of room above. Isn't that an interesting thought? Like if they do this bare minimum, then they're already better than most investors ever will be. Founders often believe their investors will do far more for them than they actually end up doing. Number six, another mistake uh, founders make, not establishing best practices around hiring. You need to set up an intelligent hiring process that good candidates will enjoy going through. Have good open communication about equity. Set clear expectations about what an employee's role is going to be. And most importantly, don't overbelieve in your ability to hire great people. Founders always say that, my, that their team is the best. Clearly, not every team is the best. Companies should be trying to minimize their non-essential employees. You should not believe you are great at hiring. If someone is not an essential employee within three months, that is often a sign that you did not make a good hiring decision number 7 not establishing bec- best practices around management this is extremely common early stage management isn't that complicated what is missing is consistent one on ones between managers and employees some type of all hands meetings great uh getting employees to buy in on strategies and tac- and uh, excuse me and getting employees to buy in on strategies and tactics and he also says like this next sentence is about like why it's it's confusing to him why more founders don't take that extra step of getting everybody in your company to buy in. He says if you are bringing in amazing smart people into your company, why wouldn't you want their opinion on what you are building? Number 8, not clearly defining roles between founders. After you raise money and have a few employees, suddenly there's some hard decisions to make, like who is going to lead product, who is going to lead tech, who is going to lead sales, who will be responsible for recruiting. It is often the case that teams will not make these make these decisions, and the best the best strategy for that part is not only for founders, but for employees too, is I love Peter Thiel's idea about this. Like you should only be responsible for one thing. When he was running PayPal, every single person had one thing and one thing only they were responsible for. And so there was no you know, inner company competing about uh, like objectives. It's very clear. This person is has is, is fully responsible for objective A. In fact, he was known if you went to try to talk to him about something else other than your main objective, he wouldn't, he wouldn't entertain the discussion. He wouldn't meet with you. I think that's a really really actually simple idea and a really powerful idea all right um number nine not having level three conversations with the founding team to relieve conflict he says there will always be conflict with the founding team there will always be the need to, for change in roles and responsibilities great startups have a system to have hard conversations bad startups bottle it in or get into constant fights And number 10, finally, assuming that Series A will be as easy to raise as the Angel round. Founders tell me every week that they can raise a Series A if they hit a $1 million run rate. I tell founders they should think about it differently. Think about it like a video game. If you have to fight a level 20 boss, you have three options. You grind up to level 10 and get your ass kicked 20 times in a row. That's option number one. Grind up to level 20 and you have a 50-50 shot of winning, option number two. And then finally, option number three is you grind up to level 30 and you kill the boss every time. Which would you rather do? You need to go into a. And his whole point here is that you're. If you're. if You are you need to always be in a constant position uh, of leverage. Like you have to be. Uh, to be raising money from a position of strength. If not, you're not going to get the terms. You, one, you, your company may die. And two, you're definitely not going to get the terms because the investor's not an idiot. He knows that he has all the, the leverage. So he's saying, grind up to level 30, make your company as powerful as possible so you can kill the boss every time. Uh, He says, uh, you need to go into a Series A conversation with high amounts of leverage so you can get the terms you want. Most people are not special. They need leverage.